Y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Joe. And I'm John. And on this episode, we are going to uh, continue the streak of us just sort of talking about stuff that we're into and has been kicking around in our brain recently. Um, and for me, that's goats. A whole lot of goats. I've been thinking a lot about goats. I never stop thinking about goats entirely. Like, there's always just one sitting in the corner of my mind going, bah. Yeah, I heard, I saw that screaming goat video on YouTube in, like, 2012, and it has just never gone away. Yes. It, it's always there ready and to react to my mess-ups. Um, yeah, on, lately, we've been, I don't know. Instead of picking topics that we think might necessarily be like the hot goss, uh, we're just sort of picking stuff that's in our brain space. And uh, lately, Games Workshop uh, dropped a a war, well, a battle tome, but uh, essentially a rule book uh, that reimagined a faction. And I am really interested to talk about it. Not just like as a Beast of Chaos episode, but I mean to talk about the idea of reimagining an army. Because the book that they released now is quite different than how the army has been historically, but also keeps some of the vibe. And I think they really did well, and I it is worth talking about while using that book as an example. Because reimagining an army can be a nightmare. Really yes. can. Um, but first, we got to talk about hobby time and games played. John, what you been up to? So, uh, I haven't played any games, but I have kept painting uh, more Slaves of Darkness for our upcoming league. Oh, what you been playing? Well, paint. Uh, paint. Uh, Chaos Warriors, Chaos Knights. Like, that's the whole army is Chaos Warriors, Chaos Knights. So they do it's... take a little bit of time to paint. <laughs> um, There's some geegaws other... on those minis. There is a bit of 40k news for me in my hobby sphere. Oh. And that is, uh, I keep feeling this draw of like Gene Sealer cult, like periodically, like this weird cult has infiltrated my brain and says, worship the four armed emperor. Um, but more specifically, uh, the guard book came out and I've been working on like a list and a way to take some of the guard stuff I have and turn it into Gene Sealer cult brood brothers. Yeah. Uh, Cause you can take like, you can take like 500 points on 2000 point list of like, Brood Brothers that are um, like Eshmael's Harem. And I think there's some gas in that tank because a lot of what makes Gene Circle hard as a faction to play is not having like some beefy armor, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like hold a line while you get your tricks off. And I think that taking like a couple, like an artillery piece and a couple of like Lehman Russes. I was going to say some tanks could really yeah. do you good. Yeah. It, Absolutely. And the Lehman Russ isn't like the tankiest thing in the world, but if I put it on the table and I look at you from and say from 72 inches away, I can just shoot something off the table. You will deal with that and forget about the gene stealers that are running up the field to eat your face while you try to. Yeah, well, I mean, I think 
it's the epitome of a good distraction card effect in that list, I would imagine. Um, yeah. You know, it's certainly got enough punch to be a threat, no doubt. Um, but it's not so expensive that it has to be something your army pivots around. So you could just sort of yes. throw them up there as this really tanky, almost like chaff line that you know is going to die. And that's totally acceptable. It's, yeah, and I can take like an infantry squad, like sit on a back objective pretty easily. Um, and just like be annoying. Like I'm, it is annoying to deal with and you feel like you have to. Like if you want to like deal with a manticore that's shooting you every turn from forever away and it gets to ignore line of sight, you're like, I have to deal with that. But if, to do so, I have to unscreen my lines from these like <laughs> assholes on dirt bikes. Yeah, yeah. The whole time these artillery's dropping, just 16 tons is playing in the background. Uh, yeah, because like I, I'm gonna bring ridge runners who can like come in on the sides of the table. I'm gonna bring like dirt bikes. Who gotta bring just, some like, trucks. Rubbing around. Probably bring a truck, but that one truck's just got like 10 dudes who went to Speedway and drank the new like Zero Sugar Monster and have like homemade flamethrowers of like lighters and hairspray cans. Uh-huh. Yep, yep. A middle school uh, let out a little too early, and now they're up to no, now they're just up to trouble. Uh huh. Yeah, and I got like two big blobs of twenty man like neophyte squads that can like bring more dude back because they summon more cult members from like the sewers, and they're just like shooting Dewalt power lasers, I guess, at people. Uh huh. Yep. Very cool. I'm here for it. Uh, anyways, my plan is to run Genesis Cult against your uh dwarves or space dwarves because i feel like having two different mining factions fight over the same planet like hatfield and mccoy's would be amazing <laughs> arguing over who gets rights to prospect this area yeah <laughs> uh the correct yeah. answer is me obviously uh no it is me uh my army deadlifts more so i went but um I'm I'm in a weird spot with world leaders, and it's kind of made me in a funk with uh, like 40k because I really don't want to invest a bunch of stuff into world leaders when their book is going to be outdated in like six months. Not even if six; that. it's like four. Yeah, so like I'm just gonna play with the toys I have and see if I'll maybe trying to get a game in at least one more game of ninth in maybe two, and try to really hammer home some. some Good old spooky times with my spooky time minor lads. Yeah, I think it'd be a time. They're a weird army to fight, but a fun army to fight. Um, it, I think you you will have fun with that army. You just gotta dive into it and commit. Yes, I think I wholeheartedly agree. I think I am. I think I'm mostly intimidated by the painting, but looking at like Lucas, our our buddy Lucas has a Tyranid army that is like a tan and red color. That is a scheme that I don't really do. Mm -hmm. And copying his Tyranid swarm and being like a cult of his swarm also sounds like a whole lot of fun. Yeah. So and gonna, it paints up pretty that. quickly, especially if you streaking grime that army. Absolutely. Like for a vast majority of it, you put down one base coat per color, streaking grime it. That's all. <laughs> yes. Don't touch it again. And then for the mid-tier stuff, you do that same thing, and then maybe dry brush. <laughs> yes. And then for your top-tier, like, foot heroes, okay, fine. You paint those six dudes with a lot of care. 
Fair enough. Yes. Um, and also, I love the Keller Morph. The Keller Morph's amazing. He's got he's he's got three arms and he's got three uh, revolvers and he shoots a whole bunch of pistol arrows at you. God, he's so cool. He's the coolest, most badass model. Uh, yes, to... I can just deep strike three inches away from you and just shoot you a whole lot and then uh, disappear into the night. In a Warhammer 40k tabletop game, I would have I like I would have to deeply reach into my soul to find the strength to not just immediately roll three armed pistol slinger. Uh, Cause he, God, that's so cool. Guy with not just one big iron on his hip, three of them. Three. Yeah. He is three Western movies all slapped together into one super Western movie. I love it. I'm here for it. Yes. The dirtiest Harry, if you will. What have you been working on, Dirtiest Harry? Uh, I have been, uh, well, my hobby is kind of split into different activities I've been doing. Uh, so first and foremost, my 750-point Soulblight Gravelords uh, Crusade army is ready to go. Not Crusade. Path of Glory? Yeah. Uh, but it is done, done. I got my Vampire Lord finished. Uh, everything's on bases now. They are based. They are sitting in my display case that I'm looking at as we speak. It's ready to rock and roll. Um, I also went out and I purchased some supplies so that I could take good miniature pictures rather than the crap that I've been putting up. Um, so I'm going to try for once on my finished mini photos uh, and put that up. He turned out better than I expected, I think, if I'm being honest. Um, I went in without much of a plan at all and just sort of felt my way through it again. And somehow it turned out. Just uh, sort of thinking about general color concepts and then ba-bam, it happened. Um, and then I dove into some 3D printing, which has been like my, my first week. That was mostly what I did was paint up the Vampire Lord and finish him. Because like there were a bunch of just bits and bobs that needed to be painted, washed, and highlighted. Um, and then got the 3d printer resurrected and printing. Uh, I had to print some minis for my wife, uh, for a Pathfinder game that we're both in. Uh, and then I had to print my own mini for the Pathfinder game that we're both in. Uh, and after that, maybe started printing a couple of goats. Possibly. Okay. I printed a few goats. You got many goat, brother. I mean, I've got like eight goat. <laughs> well, nine goat. We can get you more goat. It's fine. Uh, I'm not, because I'm not like wanting to be like, yeah, I'm doing an army. But I'm interested enough that like I probably should try a little test mini and see what that does for me. I'm You're at least jo that join interested. The join the herd. It's fine. You're allowed to join the herd. I might. It would be my like my chaos army. I do not have a chaos army currently. Um, and goats are one of those things that I've always enjoyed as a flavor from like old world fantasy, even into Age of Sigmar when read about in novels and stuff, but the rules never quite worked for me. Well, I won't say quite. I, I thought the rules were poo poo from, in terms of like my tastes and my vibes. Um, and then they came out with this new book and holy crap, some stuff changed and I'm potentially interested. Uh, so 3D printed some of those, um, got it on a base. It's ready now for me to start like test painting on. Uh, I also 
getting ready for the next step up of uh, that Age of Sigmar League that we're doing. Uh, I went ahead and got five more Blood Knights uh, assembled and then put onto bases so that they're ready to be primed and start painting ahead of time. Because if I'm ahead of schedule, it can't hurt to just go ahead and like paint the next step up, in my opinion. Why not? Yeah. I mean, that makes sense to me. The only thing is, depending on how goats go, or the Scaradron Overlord book, which drops in a week, my army for Path to Glory might change, and then my life might get hectic, but... That book releases in a week? Yes, I just saw this morning, as I was getting ready to record, uh, it comes out this week. I, j- I did not know. I am just now hearing this. Joseph. They, they put up a single article about it. <laughs> I hope that book doesn't suck. And also, I really want to play Gage Sky Dwarves again because they're always hilarious. We have the stupidest stories from them. I know! I like that army. I have that army almost entirely painted. I need to paint the big ship. That is it. Everything else is painted. I've got Balloon Boys painted. I've got Foot Dwarves painted. I've got Gunners painted. I've got the Heroes painted. I just need to paint Big Ship. But the last rule book was so rough that I just put them away instead of painting that big ship. Jesus, this is, it was rough to play. Uh, like it was rough to build lists. It was also kind of rough for sometimes people to play against or for me to play. Like it was an army that either like I entirely tabled my opponent and there was very little they could do about it. Or I was tabled before I got to turn two. <laughs> like it, there was, very, very, very little in between, and I just, I shelved the army. Um, so I also badly hope that this book is good for me. Because I would like to play them. I got them. I'm not wanting to sell them. I really like the flavor. Just, I need a book that sells me the flavor. Yes. I actually, I have thoughts on what I think would help that army a lot. I But it, we didn't. We didn't get it. We They gave us another... Like, weird synergy foot hero. In an army that's chock-a-block-a-full of weird synergy foot, foot heroes. heroes. Yeah. My, my sca- the Skaven in me sees that in that army and goes, aw, man. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like we, man, that's what we needed. Another foot guy. I was really worried we didn't have enough at, like, our 11. Um, sure, bring in another one. Uh, yeah, I was really hoping for, like, a big steam-powered, like, suit unit. Like, an elite unit of, like, f- three to five guys that are, like, foot troops. And sort of, like, Ripley power suits from uh, Alien, but steam-powered. And they are sort of like an anvil drop force that will hold a line while the boats move around them to support them. That'd be fucking rad. I think that would bring so much depth to that force. But alas, another synergy foot dude while we only ever shoot. Neat. <laughs> but it can be designed. It's just, it's going to be a little difficult. So we'll see in a week if I change forces to either Sky Dwarves or Goats or if I just decide to play Spooky Boys before the league ends. And then like two weeks later, I get a new Spooky Boys book and I have to unlearn everything I just learned. And then make a whole new list. Yeah. The- yeah. Okay. Uh, the... Like, I don't want to get into, like, rumors. Because, uh, like, I don't know. Y'all, like, some of the rumors are true. Some of them are absolutely crap. You pick the ones that you yes. trust. Um, but rumor source that I trust 
says that Soulblight Gravelords are getting a new book sometime around September. Uh, our crusade is going to end in July or August. So I will have like the full army. I will learn all the rules. Hell yeah. Play it out. I do. However I do. I learned it really well. I had grain it in my head and then immediately get a new book. And <laughs> I don't know if that's good or if that's something I don't want to do. So I, I'm going to have to I'm noodle on it a little bit. But regardless, I'm excited to uh, play some sort of Age of Sigmar for a long haul with whatever army I put on the table. I don't know which one, but one of them. I'm indecisive, John. What can I say? I mean, I feel that. It's tough. It's really tough. But, I mean, the goats, they're kind of calling, if I'm being honest. They really are. Um, and that's really because they redesigned that whole book. And y'all, I'd love to talk about it. Seth, play the music. So John, when we go into this, like, we're largely going to be talking about how they overhauled the identity of the army with this book. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you've been playing Beasts for a little while now, right? Yeah, I've been... Uh, so back in fantasy times, it was the faction I always dreamed about playing, but I instead was handed Wood Elves for a ridiculous price, so I played Wood Elves. Mm -hmm. And then Age of Sigmar came out, and, uh, when they first got, when they got their first Beast of Chaos book, which is the same book they used for years <laughs> in second edition, I basically played Beast of Chaos from then on. Um, I still have the army, I still play with it, uh, every once in a while. I've played a decent number of games with it, and uh, it's a it's a good time. It's always weird, and the 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 book is ever shifting, and what is playable and what is not, and uh, it is it is an interesting faction. I will say it is definitely not a stormcast, and uh, definitely not as solid as some of the chaos factions, other chaos factions. Yeah, I think that is a fair assessment that be other like beast of chaos players would not disagree with, <laughs> like. It is a thing that, for me, in the fluff, has always seemed interesting. The idea of these primordial forces that have always been here. Uh, they are the first creatures to come from the chaos of creation and land in the realms. And then everything around them shifted, warping them as well. Uh, and now they are these ravening ambushing horrific threats that come from the forests and end everything they touch uh, terrifying awesome big fan um but the identity has been a little weird for a while until they changed it recently uh and i kind of want to talk about faction identity first because it it really sets the stage for this conversation and this is not just games workshop specific i mean every faction in any sort of tabletop war game has a faction identity. Um, and like, while the minutia of what makes that up is going to be different, the overarching sort of touchstones I think are the same. So in terms of a, you know, an army identity, what do we mean? Like what makes that up? And for me, I think first and foremost, because I'm, I sort of lean like a Timmy is a unit looks and feel in sort of like the artistic vibes that the faction gives off, if that makes any sense. 
Um, when you are looking at factions, whether you're walking into a store somewhere and looking at box art or looking at the back of the paint schemes on it, maybe you're doing some Googling around for models that people have painted. Maybe you're looking up YouTube videos. The look of that army is almost always the first thing that's going to hit you. And it is deeply going to be part of what makes up that faction identity as you start to uncover more, right? Yes. Uh, and I think especially with Beasts of Chaos specifically, it has been that way much more so because they are very unique in terms of, as opposed to other fantasy elements in a lot of other games. And it has always kind of built up this very specific identity, similar to the Skaven as well, where like you kind of expect a certain play style from them mechanically, whereas some other things can get some leeway, right? Like Stormcast or Space Marines or yada yada. Like you see them and you're like, oh, big dude, do big dude stuff. Yeah, I mean, like, for example, if you were looking at a mini that is just like an armored plate mailed knight with a two-handed sword. I mean, that that could be from anything. Like, you know, that could be a historical yes. mini. That could be an Age of Sigmar mini. That that could be from any number of other sort of fantasy tabletop games. Like, it, it doesn't necessarily hit you as hard in terms of vibe. But when you see something like these ravening chaos beasts that all look like goats with these like big ostentatious horns and these like heavy metal album axes. It looks like something off a Dio cover like that, that sticks in your head heavily. Like that's part of the fun. Uh, and every faction has something like that. Some are just more punchy than others in terms of their visual appeal. Um, I think the next thing that then becomes part of a faction identity heavily is the rules that that faction comes with. Uh, which also leans into the vibe of the look. You know, once you see the box art or you you see paint jobs on uh, Google or Reddit or Facebook or Instagram or like wherever you're looking around, uh, if you're really interested, you're probably going to watch some battle reports. You might play them yourself. You might start asking people how they play. Like, what is the play style? And the big touchstone for that play style one of them, I I believe, is the like hard, crunchy rules in the book. Mm -hmm. They're going to sell a certain foundation that all the other stuff is going to be built up on. And every faction in any game is going to have certain touch points for what kind of makes them unique compared to the other factions that are options in the rule system that you're playing. Um, so, for example... If you are, I don't know, if you are playing uh, A Song of Ice and Fire and you want to get into Night's Watch, one of the touchstones is going to be that you have a lot of impressive healing on a battlefield. And you're going to win fights that way, but you're probably not going to have a whole lot of political push. That's right. a rules touchdown. Or, you know, Skaven you are going to do damage to yourself to make your stuff hit harder. Rules touchdown. Yes. And I feel like this, it's hard to sort of fluff up because it is just hardcore rules, but like, John, would you agree that this is like the foundation of what then builds up when you add uh, points, costs, and stuff on it? Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Especially like we're going to keep with the piece of chaos, like example, 
the playstyle of the army changed so drastically towards the end of their last book's lifespan because of point changes that made the army no longer feel like its intended flavor. Uh, its intended flavor used to be like skirmishing like monsters and skirmishing little goat dudes as opposed to I'm going to drown this table in cheese because I can just summon an enormous amount of things and I can heal those things and then nothing dies functionally. Yeah. Um, it seemed like it played more like a undead faction would than a ravenous horde or war band of primal like destroyers. Yeah. But I mean, that was what everyone was used to. So it became part of the faction identity. Yes. Like the identity became, you summon a bunch of garbage crap, you throw it forward, and then you just keep summoning more. Which really does sound like something you would do with like skeletons or zombies in a death faction, but alas, it's what you had. Uh, And then I think uh, one of the last sort of bits of that, and then we all bring it together in the final point, is uh, points cost for stuff. I think this one isn't, really considered very much, but I think it really matters. Uh, the points cost of the stuff in that army tells you kind of, if I could just like share a common colloquialism, like how badass something is in the force. You know, if you look at a hero and he's a little weedy dude with like a small sword and he costs you a hundred points, you know, oh, well, like even the best of this army is really not that cool. But if that's, if an army's hero is like 400 points and he's got like a big hammer with a meteor on the top of it and big plate armor, like, holy shit, that guy's a monster. He's going to wreck face. Yes. Yeah. Like if like, look at the big cabbage, like it's like a 400 point orc on a dragon and you're like, oh man, that thing has got to like, like beat the shit out of things. Like what? How do I, I need him. Whereas if you look at like Caesar Sigmar, they have occasional forces, like little heroes are like, I'm a dude, I'm a swordsman, but like with fancier pants <laughs> to <laughs> yeah. like 90 points. Come on now. Yeah. Okay. 90 point Lord McFancy pants. Um, like when you start to train your brain for what those baseline costs are, you notice the sort of aggregate costs of how elite a force is. And it also ties into the identity of the force. So, for example, uh, I play a faction called Adeptus Custodes in 40k. They are the elite of the elite of the elite. And as such, they are pointed really high per model. And the rules are really good per model. And those things together tell me, oh, damn, one of the touchstones of this faction is that they are a highly elite force. And it kind of sells that into the faction identity. Uh, with beasts, as John was saying, everything costed next to nothing, and you could summon a bunch more on for free. So, like the the thing it sold you is like, oh, like none of these guys are actually a threat. It's really just like they're gonna drown you under the weight of their corpses because they're all little piddly like two point dudes. So, like all of that matters, and then it comes together. I think when you take all of those factors together, that's when you get an overall play style, and those together combined with the vibe are in my opinion what makes a faction identity an aggregate and i think 
most war games want strong faction identities because I think it makes little communities in your player group. You know, people who really, really enjoy their particular faction or factions because it aligns well with, like, their preferences and how they like to play games or their likes in uh, fantasy or sci-fi tropes or, you know, vibes or paint schemes or what have you. It makes people want to get more emotionally invested in their miniatures and their army to play it more. And... Some factions across all of the tabletop war games do this really, really well and have like die hard fans. I think like mm-hmm. uh, Warhammer 40k orcs does this incredibly. Like, yes, I, you I will know agree. an orc player, okay? They will tell you because they freaking love orcs. Uh, because like they all of these things have been done so well. Um, but it does make it a little sad when it isn't done well. Uh, because you could see other people having this sort of fun and your faction might not have it depending on what game you're playing. So it is a bit of a double-edged sword, which is why I also kind of want to briefly touch on the issues with identity um, because that's going to segue us into this Beast of Chaos book and how they sort of contended with some of this. Yeah. Um, Because like some faction identities are not great. (laughs) Uh, like, for example, maybe a faction identity exists that appeals to very few people. That's going to mean it's probably not going to be popular. It's not going to sell a lot. And if you're a company, that sucks. Because <laughs> you're trying to make yeah. money. Uh, also, two, it could be, depending on the identity, it could be a mechanical nightmare to try to balance. Um, For you know, let's say your faction identity is that you summon a bajillion points of stuff for free all the time, all over the board, anywhere you want. You're going to need to make a new identity because that's going to be a nightmare. Like, I, I don't know how you would touch that. And I think part of that is what Beast ran into uh, in what made Games Workshop want to pivot a little on that book because it is hard to balance something like that where you're summoning units all over the place and you're ambushing everywhere. And then in general, this is true all over, but once you have people into an identity, it is inherently hard to shift that identity and make changes. Yes. And I think this is what makes the Beast of Chaos book impressive because, man, if you make changes in a book, the community will sometimes lose their minds. Yeah, and I think the the trick there is you don't want to take a hard left or like a hard right. You kind of want to like ease your way kind of drifting towards one direction or the other. Yeah, a little bit of um, gentle diversion helps a lot. But like... Well, there, as I mentioned above, the benefit of army identity is that you're going to get people who are diehard and want to play it. The inherent back cut to that is that they're going to be resistant to change a lot of the time if you do big changes. And it is hard as a game designer to try to change something enough to fix its issues, but to not touch it hardly at all to not make people mad. Those are... Uh, Two ideals that are pulling in very different directions, and they leave a narrow gap for you to try to shoot between. And I do not envy someone having to do that. Um, And I think sometimes in book design, they get it wrong. They hit one way or they hit the other way. 
and we're all sort of disappointed. And vocally, we'll say that when those when that happens, they're bad books. We've yeah. seen it happen. Yeah. But also, I, I sort of want to take the time to also kind of shout out what I think they've done here and that they shot the gap and it's a cool book. <laughs> it's only fair to give the praise in addition to kind of burn them a little bit. Yeah, we always want to call out books that do very well. Um, I was talking about them earlier in the episode when I was talking about Hobby Progress, but like Gene Seether cults do that. Like that book is tragic, not because it doesn't fit its own identity, but because the 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 very the the way you play that book in the game as a whole kind of clashes in that edition. But the game itself internally is incredibly on point for flavor and on point mechanically. Yeah. Internally. Like the identity is so good and the book expresses it well. And it makes it fun to play and fun to build and fun to do stuff with because it, it all makes sense. Like you can go read a book, build a list and play a game. And you're like, this all felt like part of the same experience. Yeah. Um, and uh, it is possible to make these changes, but I want to use the Beast of Chaos book as an example of something that was done really right. And just talk about it a little bit because I'm kind of into Beasts of Chaos at the moment and kind of just want to talk about them. But also because I do think it's a good example of, hey, we need to make some fundamental changes to align with the rule set and to make it more flavorful because it's a little bland. But let's also kind of respect the flavor, like the vibe for the army and what brings people to it. Yeah, tell me about these goats. Talk to me about goats that I already know about, but I want to hear your iteration on goats. <laughs> yeah, so um, I, for me, I really like the fact that this keeps the vibe from old Warhammer. Like, this feels like Warhammer fantasy, mm -hmm. uh, where there, the reason the Beasts of Chaos were horrifying was not because they were endless hordes of morons that weren't dangerous. Um, and... You know, I feel like that's kind of what goblins did really well. But, or Skaven. And instead, the Beasts of Chaos were dangerous because they were sort of these cunning predators that would ambush you at all of the worst angles for your force where you were not expecting them when you were not ready in an environment that you did not want to fight in in the first place. Uh, and they're then going to use these horrific magics that you don't even understand to either uh, buff up their monsters to incredible proportions and like whip them into a frothing frenzy before sending them at you or to devolve your troops into these like screaming, braying, animalistic beasts that now like break formation, they're scattering all over the lines and then they hit you. Um, that's what made them scary. That no matter how many guards you had or how well trained they were, when you were on a caravan through the forest, they could end your existence. Uh, and you would have very little you could do to stop them because of how well planned these ambushes were. And holy crap, does this book hit that. Um, instead of doing like just the summoning mechanic, which they had before, which always felt weird... Um, in Games Workshop games, generally the factions who summon are like summoning demons because that's a thing that like a lot of demonic factions do. They summon in more, very flavorful, uh, or that like death factions do is they pull 
corpses up from under the ground or like revive like revive corpses that you chopped apart and like the skeleton pulls itself back together and it's back in the fight like it all makes sense but it's weird for beasts of chaos to do that to just be like Bleh! and then like a goat appears <laughs> no get amazing <laughs> get out of here like don't make a damn bit of sense i get it you like called jerry from the woods and he rolled up but like no Jer- no God, no. It doesn't work. Um, And instead, they pulled the summoning mechanic and they gave them a strong ambush mechanic. Holy cow. Um, So, now Beasts of Chaos can take as many units of theirs as they want and put them off the board at the start of the game. As many as they want. They could put their whole army in Deep Strike at the start of the game if they want to whole damn army uh and then bring them on in the first two turns and when they come on they get bonuses to charge because this is their prepared ambush they are pros at it so when they do try to deep strike they have a much higher chance of hitting you than any other faction in the game does and the coolest thing they do is that their heroes can do these dark rituals all of them can where like by giving blood and lives they can do these like dark tricksy abilities that mess with your line and your morale and they can do them while not on the board so even from deep strike they are messing with you and uh if you are a clever sort of beast lord and how you use these uh weird abilities from off the board you can wreck someone's battle plan not by just like Oh, I deal 300 mortal wounds across the whole board. GG, Mr. Bond. Like, n- <laughs> Instead, you're playing with their deployment. You're playing with their movement. You're playing with sort of uh, terrain. You're playing with how they even have to deploy just for the threat of where you're going to be at. And that, man, does that feel like you're trying to protect yourself from a beast mini ambush. Like, John, what are your thoughts on that playstyle compared to summoning? I, it's this, it's the way that I want to play the the faction, right? Like, I don't want to kind of sit back and be slitting goat throats to like summon more ungors. I want to be running gores in from the one side of the table, charging into one line, and then when someone like moves to shift to deal with those, having a gorgon show up behind them. That's like, and like. While that's happening, I have like bulgors running forward that they've been, you know, being like, I can, I can wait two turns to deal with them. Well, now it's two turns later, and you've been distracted by the gores and the corgan, and now you're getting punched in a different direction. Like, uh, I love playing like Total Warhammer three with Beastmen, and mm-hmm. this feels like that in that game, and it's perfect. It's amazing. Yeah, I would agree with that entirely. Um, And in that game, you're doing a lot of setup to like ambush or like deploy in weird vanguard deployments or to get people where they're not expecting. This feels like that dead on. I think that's a great way to summarize it. Uh, And they also went from an army that, let's be honest, the last book had a lot of units in it that were just never going to be taken. That were. There was a couple of units that were very good. So you you took as many of those as physically possible. Mm-hmm. 
And it wasn't, like, based on utility a lot of the time. It was really just based on, like, raw power. You know? Oh, here are the four units that had a lot of raw power. Um, I guess that means everything else will never see the tabletop. And I, I think that's just a damn shame. But here we go. In the new book, they're a toolbox army. And almost every unit in that book has a use in your toolbox. Depending on your matchup and your deployment and, like, the meta... You might bring one list now, and then a year from now, you're going to grab for different uh, stuff in your toolbox. Maybe right now, what you need is a socket wrench, but here in about a year, the socket wrench is out. Sorry, we don't need the socket wrench. Now we're dealing with Allen keys, and I need my Allen wrench set. And you're going to pull and those units out of the book. And maybe six months from then, all right, I've done... There's no more Allen-headed screws that I need to tighten. Now it's hammer time, baby in the toolbox, give me my hammer, hammer goes in the list. Uh, I also think that there's enough in the book, like rules-wise, not just with units, but just the other rules, that you could put four beast players at a table and have each give them a book and have them write a list, and they'll each come at you with a different list. Like, it, it is not like one of these books that you have just like, these core units everyone takes forever and always... And then you might have like 200 points that is spent differently. Like I think that this this book has so much of people being able to take that concept of being like these skirmishing, fighting monsters and they'll make drastically different lists that take that approach. Yeah, I don't think you're going to sit down and go, all right, here's the list. What do you mean the list? I mean, this is the list. The book has one list. Like, that happens, and it's always a crying shame. But here, I, I think they're, like, just in the sub-factions, there are, like, three of them that are compelling. Two that are very compelling. Cygor, uh, like, goat phrase. Like, I love that the Cygor eats endless spells. I love that the Cygor throws big rock. And I love that if you take the sub-faction for big monster, they can turn into priests. Like, it's... You have giant monster priests. It's amazing. How cool is that? <laughs> Well, and also, like, I just, just consider that each one of those Cygors, uh, within a 30-inch range, if an enemy wizard casts a spell, takes a mortal wound for casting it. And now, if you're playing that sub-faction, Cygor or Battle Line, you have three Cygors. Every time an enemy wizard casts a spell successfully, they take three mortal wounds. Go ahead. Cast your spells. I dare you. I double dog. Go ahead, you. read your book. <laughs> Go ahead, quote the old lord of me. I dare you. Uh, you're they're gonna make their head explode. <laughs> it's gonna be amazing. Uh, what a weird thing that like if you're playing a if you were a magic heavy faction and that's the list you're up against, you just kind of look at it and go, huh. What do well, I do? <laughs> they got me. Well done. <laughs> Piss. And I love that. I, I love that, like, the Beast player has to kind of play a little cleverly uh, to get there, but that there are answers for a lot of the, the scary lists in the meta. And I, I, I'm a big fan. I'm a huge fan of that. And I think uh, that, like, that only works because there is less trash swamping the board. Um, and I will always kind of prefer a tactical toolbox army to just a... I mean, largely before, it was kind of like a walk-forward horde, where that was just your your strategy. I have mm -hmm. a bunch of crap, I push it up, and I keep pushing it up. And hopefully at the end of this game, I have regenerated and summoned enough garbage to 
to sit on the objectives and I win points victories. Woohoo. <laughs> that doesn't sound fun. Um, so like mechanically, they have kept the sort of fantasy flavor in people's heads, the class fantasy, if you will, the faction fantasy, when you imagine what these goats act like in the world or in the books or in the lore, uh, and then change the mechanics quite a bit. I mean, the summoning's gone, gone, but they replaced it with something that's so cool and so on brand that I think it blunts some of the worst reaction to the changes, even though they are very significant changes. And like, that's, an incredible feat of game design and hats off to the people who wrote the book. Like, I, I don't know what it's going to do competitively. That's a conversation for people, not me. Um, but just yeah. reading a book, it feels well designed. So like John, are you feeling goats or are you really just kind of wrapped up in your, uh, slaves to darkness? Uh, if I wasn't currently already wrapped up in my slaves of darkness from a painting perspective, I'd be playing goats. Um, I have goats, in the closet waiting in the wings, but I, I don't feel like the immediate pressure to play them because I, I know that when I look back at this book in six months and pull it out to play it, I will just have a different type of list to play. Like the, the environment will have changed, but like army will still be functional, right? Mm -hmm. Similar to Skaven. But right now I want to put these big dudes in armor and I want to go, um, hit dudes with flails and lances. I mean, entirely fair. Yes. But you, you seem peaked up about this goats, right? So you are, you're thinking about goats and it, it's kind of a chaos Sylvaneth army in a lot of ways. It, it feels like a weird combination of like bits I really enjoy about Sylvaneth, which make me like thinky think, um, but also stuff I really liked when I played Iron Jaws. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's an apt description. They have a lot of the... Iron Jaws, but with more tricks flavor. Yeah, I do. Um, you get the deep strike from Sylvaneth where, like, I have to make tactical decisions, and if I mess it up, I'm going to lose the game, and that's fair. It's on me. I done goofed. Should have made better choices. Uh, but also, there's quite a bit of, Haha, I made my charge, let's smash. Uh, yes. Because I have that. to take Bulgors. Like, yeah, I need Bulgors. a unit of Bulgors with great weapons. Like, I just... I need a giant minotaur with a colossal axe that is striking at you to get like a five inch charge at a deep strike and make you scream. Um, and like gorgons with like giant rocks roped to their arms that they like punch people to death with. Yeah. And the gorgon eats bodies whole. Like Yes. <laughs> grabs very whole ass warriors, shoves them down his gullet and then heals from it. God, what a melee blender. I love it. Like literally blender. Like if you've ever seen the animation for it in total warhammer three, they literally just spin. <laughs> I feel like I'm watching an episode of Beyblade. Just let it rip. Zor. Yeah. There goes the Gorgon. Um, it's so good. It's so, so good. Uh, and I really like the fact that a lot of that book is compelling, but a lot of it, I read it and go, Oh, well that's good in X situation or maybe Y situation. Ooh, maybe I want like one of those, or maybe I want one of these. It's very, very much so not spammy an army, which I like. And yeah. also, they lowered the body count. And I cannot tell you how important that is for my tastes. And uh, they also took some of the models that are newer and actually made them good. Like the 
the Slangors. Fighting twice, minus two rend, two damage. Uh, four attacks per swing, per model. Ugh, so good. Pretty good. Pretty good. For a you cheap some, point value. Ooh. Add some more rend on it also. Oh, that hurts. That's going to hurt. Um, yeah, Beast of Chaos was an army, even before we started the podcast, that I had bought some models for because I'd read the lore first, and I was really into them in the lore. Uh, but then I... I got their second edition book and went, oh, this don't feel right. Uh, and also, some of those models are terrible. Like, I, I, I will not mince words. Some of them are horrifically bad. Yes, some of the old models are just the, the worst. And even some of the okay models are still not good. <laughs> so, like, a lot of it I would have still said absolutely new to because I'm a model snob and I will not paint bad models for an army. Like, I, I just, I've found that's not something I'm willing to do. Uh, but 3D printer in up and going oh well i can find a lot of really good goat replacement stls for the stuff i don't like <laughs> absolutely that also makes me more tempted uh, and then the last thing that kind of tempts me is john damn it i got a story in my head about some goats yeah, tell me about this story about goats tell me this goat story if you will <laughs> uh so like in the lore, the the history on the Beasts of Chaos is always iffy, right? Intentionally so. There are multiple ideas about how they got here, but the only thing that is certain is that they are like the oldest natural beings in the realms. And they came from a time before Chaos was, well, what it is now. Um... Like, they are the primordial made manifest in terms of, like, what came naturally to the realms. Uh, and that's always stuck in my brain. But I feel like it needed a little more to really, like, call me to make my own custom Beast Lord. Uh, mm -hmm. And this came to my head as I was kicking around ideas for a Mordheim Warband. Um, but in the new book, they talk about how the ritual of life in the mortal realms that rippled out, you know, uh, it essentially was made to stop the Necroquake because Nagash did like big, big bad, made all sorts of death energies ripple across the realms and a doomsday plot. He failed, but it was still bad. I mean, like the corpses walked out of graves and walked the earth. It was magic everywhere for death. To counter it, they did a big life ritual. Boom. Life hits the realms. Everything explodes to life. Living things became stronger, became more emboldened, um, and one of the unexpected consequences of that in the new lore is that some new Beasts of Chaos phrase were seen in the realms, and it is speculated that these come from regular towns and villages who got hit with that life magic in a realm of beasts, and then were turned instantaneously in this like sort of moment of apotheosis into these horrific abominations that cannot be accepted at society anymore. Uh, and then it started to tick. Um, you know, when you get hit with this magic, you are now like connected to chaos in a way you haven't been before. And yeah. you were sort of connected to the evolutionary chain and the primordial origin of your new species. 
Um, what if one of them had kept their mind enough to understand these origins? Uh, who had just enough human to not devolve into absolute like feral idiocy in their creation. Um, but also wasn't like big brain enough to become like a chaos demon or something. Uh, but who understood the origin that really beasts of chaos are the only thing that should be here. And that humans, the only thing they ever did was create the chaos gods as monsters. I mean, chaos before the existence of humans was this sort of in balance primordial force that led rise to these goats who essentially had an Eden that they lived on because it was natural for them. And then humans were made by these outside invader gods who then warped all of these things that made them into horrible abominations. And if you understood this origin and you know, have a little bit of this universal secret that no one else really has or understands even other chaos forces, because they're way too up one God's butt to be able to look at the big picture. You understand that everybody has to go. Like it is reasonable to come to the conclusion for this one beast Lord that everybody has to go back to oblivion. It's the only way to fix things. That means yes. your chaos, like mortal worshipers have got to go. The other races living here got to go. All the gods, they gotta go. Uh, and uh, what if your beast lord is like, that's what drives him? Is it the chaos gods, but rather the implementation of oblivion? Yeah, like it's the true primordial aspect and concept of chaos that isn't aligned with any of the four deities. Yeah, almost like, uh, oh, who's the guy in uh, 40k? Malog? Malog? Like Malog? The other god. Um, Malice. Malice. Yes. Um, and like, as I'm thinking like, Oh, okay. Something oblivion, the call of oblivion, like the beast of oblivion. No, that's dumb. And then, uh, the idea came to me. Uh, what if his like big chaos gift is just a hand that is pure void that whatever he touches just is unmade. It never was. And Horrifying. that's his purpose <laughs> is to become literally the hand of oblivion. Um, and I, like, the stories started to write themselves in my head of him trying to, like, keep these beast men on the rails who are in various states of cogency and sapience and sentience uh, as he tries to balance their sort of bature natures with their, you know, logical minds and also religious zealousy of other factions and do horrific, terrible things because they are beastmen. Um, but without the hatred of the ones who have been so corrupted by chaos that they've lost their mind and sense of what the beastmen are supposed to be. Right. Um, yeah, stories spawned. And to be honest, I could probably uh, write a short story. Maybe, like, I have enough scenes in my head to maybe I could probably write a, a much bigger than short story. But, yeah... My brain done did the thing, John. And I've probably you, just been rambling for five minutes. I ain't even looked at the clock. No, you gotta go. You like you had to go. Like get it all out. Put it out there. It was fantastic. My, oh God. I really did. I just forgot we were recording a podcast for a second there. I was just going. Yeah, man. Yeah, Dear man, listeners, totally. my apologies. I hope it was decent. 
Um, no, no, no. I, there's probably someone out there like, dude, Dan Abnett did this 10 years ago. Like, you're probably right. <laughs> like, it's you're okay. It's okay. This is right. for a Dugans and Flugans game with just our friends in a room. <laughs> you're pro- Dan probably uh, did do this 10 years ago, but Dan didn't do it with goats. Okay. So it's a big difference. I added a goat. So yeah, now we're going to read HP idea. Lovecraft at the fucking petting zoo, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> <laughs> the ironic thing is Dad would probably hear that and chuckle. Yeah, he'd be down. Um, but yeah, like, I have really come around on a tale that is cool. And it's interesting that, like, it's a little lore bit that they added as just a throw-off that triggered it for me. Like, all these amorphous ideas were just floating around and, like ether space doing nothing and then i saw that one little bit of like oh yeah some people turned into beast bed my brain was like oh my god inspiration and i laid in bed for like three hours pondering it and uh yeah i guess all that to say goats are pretty all right yeah i guess joe's a goat player now (laughs) I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I'm going to see how painting them goes. I'm going to paint a... Like, I printed a Beast Lord. And I've got some gores printing. And I will paint the Beast Lord and see how it feels. If it does feel right, hell yeah. Might play some goats. Yeah, I think that that army's really easy to paint with, like, just washes. Like, it's a very forgiving army to paint. And the idea that you can make all sorts of messy mistakes and it looks intentional. Similar to uh, Nurgle. Yeah, yeah. My general idea is I'm going to try to, like, efficiency paint it, because there's, like, a lot of geegals and stuff. Um, so, like, some probably similar to the advice I gave you about Gene Stealer Cult. Like, a vast majority of it's going to be, like, Zenithal highlight it, hit it with an airbrush wash for, like, flesh tones all over, and then come back and do one base coat on everything, streak and grime it, see how it looks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then for, like, your mid-tone heroes, all right, do a little dry brushing or something. I'm sorry, not heroes, but like Bulgore or whatever. And then just spend your real time on like the Beast Lord, the Gorgon, the Cygor. But yeah, like uh, I was inspired and I wanted to kind of shout out this cool book. I think uh, Faction Identity is something that is nebulous and hard to talk about. So like, I hope we did this fairly well for y'all out there. Um, and if you have your own thoughts uh, about the Beast cast, maybe you want to tell me that like this goat story is bad. I fair like the social media is open uh or if you want to uh kickstart my uh petting zoo cthulhu story uh just let me know i'll put together a 30 million dollar kickstarter you know a meager meager thing and we'll get it going um (laughs) but we appreciate y'all being here for the entirety of this episode uh, we are looking at some other stuff for upcoming episodes. Uh, I think we've got one that came to me while we were talking this episode about sort of our rough goals for the year. I think it could be a reoccurring thing we do every year, sometime near the start of the year. And uh, maybe look back on some of our previous year's goals, see if we hit it, see if we didn't. Um, and I think for the past few episodes, we've just kind of been talking about stuff that's in our brains and that we like. Rather than necessarily the big stuff. And I hope that's working for y'all. If it is, let us know. And if not, I'd like to know that too. Uh, Subscribe, share, y'all already know. Uh, We appreciate that. It really does go a long way. Uh, We're a smaller podcast. And the more people that you could get to watch it, even just one or two, really helps. And we'll be cooking up some more goat stories. Maybe I'll leave the petting zoo, go to an aquarium, something like that. Uh, for now that's been all of our opinions bonafide and kentucky fried what about those goat whales
Oh my god, goat wheels would be sick. What kind of what would the horns look like on a goat whale? It can't be just like the spinny bits. It wouldn't be aquadynamic. Uh we'll figure that out. Oh sharks? <laughs> no, octopus. Octagoats. Octagoats. Never mind. Found the book. <laughs> all of our opinions. Bonafide. Kentucky Fried. See y'all the next one. Octagoats.